Hello, friends, and thank you for coming to this inaugural return episode of The Run Loop. Today's guest is a very special one named Gus Mueller. Gus is an independent developer who's been making software for the Mac for well over a decade now. His company is called Flying Meat, and he's based in Seattle, Washington. Let's get to the show. All right. Hello, Gus. Thanks for being here on the inaugural return episode of The Run Loop. It's only been three years, but I, uh, well, we're back. So how's it going? It's, it's going. And I think you can subtract one year from that. Just, you know. Yeah. This past year doesn't really count. Yeah, it sure sucked. I mean, you know, it wasn't my favorite. If I was rating them, I'd go, 2009 was a pretty good year. Yeah. Anyway. It only gets better from here on out. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I'm 36 now. I, I hear it really only gets better. I'm going to get stronger, faster, all those things, right? That's kind of true. I'm 46. And, you know, I'm still doing, I'm doing some things better than I was in my 30s. So. Yeah. I want to be one of those 50-year-old guys who goes around talking about how they're in the best shape of their life. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, thanks for coming on. Let's start off with what's your developer, like, hero's journey? My hero's journey. Well, I'm Gus Mueller. I've got a little company named Flying Meat. It's just, you know, me and my wife these days. But I don't know. I've just been always kind of programming for Apple platforms. You know, I actually started on an Apple IIc way, 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 way back in the day. Just basic stuff, though. I mean, I was a kid. So it was just like programming, you know, stuff out of like magazines that my mom bought me. Like little programmer books. You type in the basic commands and you get to run a little program or whatever. Just from that, I you know, high school, I used Macs at the labs and stuff like that. But I got a Mac when I went to college. And I, you know, took some C classes and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I really started working for the University of Missouri at Columbia, Mizzou, that I, you know, I did some Java stuff and I did a lot of Perl stuff. And But I did it all from a Mac. And that's when I really started getting into programming against Mac APIs and stuff like that. And I tried just writing some little apps, actually in Real Basic as well. Do you remember Real Basic at all? I am aware that Real Basic was a thing that existed in the 90s. Yeah, it was great for... Does it still exist? Yeah, it's got a different name. I think it does. I mean, people derided it, but man, it made so much more sense than trying to handle events in in straight C and, you know, doing stuff. And the IDE at the time was MetroWorks Code Warrior and stuff like that. But Real Basic was great. I mean, it it just had a a very actually Cocoa-like programmer's interface. Like you would implement actions and um is that right I, I know there were data sources for things like tables and just other other things anyway you could write an application like a real mac application and it looked and felt like a real mac mm-hmm. application and it just sort of you know turned my eye on um you know like bulb in my head and i was like oh, oh okay so then you know you could create guis and stuff like that and from then i discovered coco and apple bought next yeah my room one of my roommates at the time when apple bought next he was a big next fanatic and I've told this story before, but like the day after, it was over Christmas break that Apple bought Next. And I got a message on voicemail the next day. And my roommate just freaking out. He was like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. This is, this is the greatest thing ever. Just because he, he loved just the Objective-C and just everything about it. The whole interface builder on mm-hmm. you know the Next Cube. He had one. He bought a used one and just had it in his, his room. And it was just... We used to have little programming competitions against each other. I would try to write stuff in Java on the Mac, and he would. We'd see who could get it done first. He always won. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, programming in Real Basic. That I was like, C is a pretty cool language. It's maybe one of my maybe one of my favorites. But it's 
I wouldn't want to make a GUI app in C. That seems that, I mean, it's crazy. People did it, but it seems painful. The cool thing about C to me is everything in C is just like you get bytes in and then you do things and then you process them in some way and then you can output them. And it's really good at that in its way. But yeah, I would not want to be dealing with windows and stuff. That sounds crazy. Yeah, it was, I mean, because you had to do everything in uh, resource forks, Mm -hmm. which I still don't totally, I never really messed with them much. So I don't, I'm sure they made sense at the time, but. I think I read about that like one time and I I completely forgot what it was. Okay. So that's your hero's journey. Did I interrupt you there or? or, or, Well, I mean, I guess, well, if you want to lead up to flying meat. So then it, uh, I just. I left the university and I moved back to St. Louis and I was just writing some shareware on the side. And how did this happen? I um, just started, you know, I discovered Coco and holy crap, you could get stuff done with Coco. And it was, it was just so nice. And I threw some shareware apps up and I wrote a little app called Voodoo Pad, which we ended up winning an award. You know, it was, it was a desktop wiki. It's still around. It's owned by the Geekbench folks. Oh. Um, so... Yeah, they own it now. But yeah, and I wrote Voodoo and a couple other little apps. Mm-hmm. So and eventually Acorn as well. Yeah, Voodoo Pad was dope. I used yeah. to use that app all the time. I still use it. I use it, you know, as an archive of my information, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not putting a whole lot in it these days. I'm not putting a whole lot into any note-taking apps these days, actually. I should, I don't know why. It's just not happening. But yeah, I, I've got tons of information in it, and I just look up stuff in it all the time. That's cool. So. Yeah, I feel like Apple Notes really changed, like when Apple Notes got the big rewrite, it's not that it's like better than other Notes apps, but it's just like that it um, it was like good enough that I feel like a lot of people just started using that. Especially the syncing. Once, I mean, the syncing was uh, between the Mac and iOS was, was rock solid. Mm-hmm. And whenever I want some text to, you know, to show up on my iPhone, I always just paste it into Notes and wait for it to go over there. Yeah, so my manager at Apple actually worked on the syncing for that. And without divulging any secrets, what he told me as the trick was, they sync a lot. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) whenever there's a chance to send data, they do it. They just Um, do it, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's giving anything away. So that's all cool. And so you did that, and then we lead up to Acorn eventually. Yep. You decide, you're like, I'm going to write an image editor. This sounds easy. Uh, (laughs) No, actually, so a lot of my programming ideas came out of just curiosity. So the Acorn actually started as another app of mine called FlySketch, which and I started oh, FlySketch yeah. because FlySketch is what it was, was a, basically a screen capture application. So you could move the window, it, it floated above everything else, and you could capture a portion of the screen, and then you could start drawing on it. Mm-hmm. And then you could send that off to other applications or whatever. But the reason why I wrote that is because I wanted to know how to write brushes. Yeah. And so I figured I would just start you know, doing stuff with pixels and stuff like that. Now, that did, it didn't actually have a brush in it. I mean, it did, but mm-hmm. it was all Bezier-based, which is just how I thought you would do it at the mm-hmm. time. Eventually, I ran into other, you know, like the lead programmer on Painter at the time. I actually ran into him. He's a friend of mine now. I talked about how brushes were working. And I was like, wait, do you guys do it this way? And it's basically with dabs. You put down pixels and just mm-hmm. really close together. And it's like, yeah, that's that's how paintbrushes is, is done. And, you know, in modern image editor. I was like, ah, crap. So eventually FlySketch, I started working on version 2.0. Everybody wanted layers in it. And it just started growing and growing and growing. And eventually I was like, this is a separate application. Mm -hmm. And that's how Acorn 1.0 came about. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was funny. We were talking about the brush thing when you talk to somebody and you're like, is this how you do it? And he's just like, yeah, that's how you would do it. Because I feel like <laughs> the thing is when things that seem magical, right, in programming, whenever you find out the right way that is done in bigger apps or whatever, is it's just, oh, it's like the most mechanical, obvious way that you would do it. Because yep. like, how else would you do it? Which I think is funny. Okay, so Acorn, it's an image editor. It's been around for 13 plus years now. I think I've had every version. Yeah, I have every version. I remember using it at like my first internship that I worked at, and I was resizing and cropping a lot of images there because I think the designer I was working with misunderstood when they said the iPhone screen has this. They were like, I need to make it so big by so big, like this many pixels at this DPI. And I'm like, but pixels are just pixels. Like, that's not. So they'd send me like these giant images, however they did it. And I tried to explain it, but it did not work. So I'm just like, <laughs> eventually I just ended up resizing them all, um, which was super cool of me. Conflict averse, probably at that point. Not now. Now I just, now I'm still pretty conflict averse. So anyway, 13 years, it's a long time to work on, on any kind of app. So how do you keep that going? What's it take to maintain an app over the long stretch and keep it updated and keep it awesome? Well, um, you've always got to keep yourself interested in it. I think that's the number one thing. You know, you've always got itches to scratch with it. So there's Acorn has got such a massive problem space. There's a, um, you know, there's there's just like the undo layer of the application is is pretty having everything optimized around that or just having pixels, you know, going to the screen in an efficient way. There's so many different aspects to it. There's even networking in Acorn a little bit. And uh, um, it's just like, if I'm interested in, you know, just doing this type of code, well, there's going to be the opportunity to do that in Acorn. Uh-huh. But keeping it going for this many years, you have to also just generally disciplined too. Um, I've got a pretty... <sighs> I think it's extensive, but I've got a test suite that gets run every time I put up a new build up on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, I also put new versions, like test versions, up on my server constantly so people can always download a new version and try out new things that I've done. And hopefully they'll find bugs if I've, like, pretty quickly if if my test suite didn't find it. Although it's pretty good at finding, you know, a lot of bugs as well. It's just, I probably the number one thing is discipline, but also Mm -hmm. just being interested in your app, I think, goes a long way to... Just wanting it sticking, having it stick around. Yeah, I think just being a curious person is the secret to a lot of things. Like for me, it's always a lot of things that I come up with or want to do are just because I'm like, how does that work? And then I just want to find out, right? Like you were just like, how do brushes work? And then you made a whole image editor out of it. I think that's really critical. I think a lot of developers are curious too, because it's all about pushing the edges of what you know and finding things out. It'd be really hard if you weren't. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned the handling undo in Acorn, and now I'm interested in that. What is interesting about handling undo in an image editor? And then after that, I want to ask you about the testing. It's like really exciting topics. Well, you know, it's for developers. Undo was a tough nut. I remember a long time ago when I was, God, was it when I was working on Acorn 1.0 or not? I just remember talking with Mike Lee. Do you remember Mike Lee? Oh, yeah. We're friends. Um, I remember sitting outside the luau and we were talking about (laughs) stuff. And he goes, well, whatever you do, it has to have rock solid undo. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, it does. Because if there's anything that I get wrong in Acorn, it, people have got to know that they can just undo whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's actually a hard problem to solve between you've got all the different, well, just for bitmaps. Like you can't, let's say you apply a filter. There's no way to actually just unply a filter with another filter. Um, so what you have to do is capture 
the pixels of what they look like before you apply your filter uh-huh. and, uh, and save that off to the side. And then if you want to cut down in the region, but you don't want the whole image because if you've got a hundred gigabyte image, uh, gigapixel image, then, uh, um, you know, and they only change 14 pixels. You don't want to, so you take these little snapshots. So basically you have two copies of every, la- well, the layer working on in memory. And there's, there's a lot of like, just like, okay, capture this before this gets put down. And if you're doing a brush, you're, maybe I'm drawing this image at one point, then drawing the old image at another time. There's a lot of swapping around that goes, uh-huh. goes on. And actually early on, I stored all the undo bits. Well, they stay in memory for a while, but obviously if you're working on a 50 megapixel image, then uh, you're going to run out of memory. So it gets written out to disk at times. And, it, uh-huh. and you find ways to optimize that. For a while, they were being written to SQLite databases, but I found it was just easiest to write to the file system in batches. So you just write little diff files or little sections out and then you yep. just grab them? And there's, you know, I have special little images in memory that will references to those frames, basically. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And It'll just swap stuff the where the pixels. It's almost like swap for memory, if you mm-hmm. think about it, like you know Unix swap, and it'll page in and out of disk as needed. Yeah. So this is basically. So this is like non-destructive editing. Then basically, this is how you. Well, do it. I'm. Yeah. Well. Or is or is that is that a different topic? That's the, well, an image editor turns. That's like. Uh, so this would be for like brush strokes or whatever. I mean, there's the mm-hmm. filters in Acorn, which are all non-destructive as well, mm-hmm. which means that those are applied in real time. Like the pixels go from the backing store, then the filter gets applied to it, and then it goes to screen. So mm-hmm. you could save the file and close it, and then come back up, and then just remove the filter, and your original pixels will be there. So that's a non-destructive filter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the undo stuff is just you know it's just being able to go back in time. You know? Right. So when you're saving, was that still just saving earlier versions in your file format to go back in the filters because there's no way to unapply it? So you need to have... Yeah, I, well, so for the filters, the non-destructive... I probably shouldn't have said filters in the first example because there are non-destructive... You can apply a filter permanently, but then you have to change, save the whole frame of the image. But the undos are not... They don't persist between opens mm-hmm. just because space size would... Yeah, absolutely. It would run out of disk space. But uh, yeah, the non-destructive filters, those are, you know, they're just saved as like a plist inside the Acorn file. Oh, okay. So. so it's literally a filter. It's like placing a, like a, yeah. a film over a thing, yep. like a red filter or something like in real life. Okay, yeah, that, yeah. That, that makes sense. So I did want to ask about testing because I've always been jealous of web developers who write APIs for unit testing because I feel like it's like you have some input that you would expect from the database and then you would have a very predictable output. And it makes total sense how you could write a test for that. And it's probably way harder than I think because I haven't done it. But is that kind of what it's like? You put data in, you get data out, like you can sort of predict what you want? Or is it yeah. more involved? Yeah. And uh, um, I mean, basically, so Acorn, I had to write my own testing framework because none of the existing f- testing frameworks, or at least at the time, back in 2007, mm-hmm. are going to work with pixels. So my testing framework is basically, I've got an image, and I know what I want it to look like after running some different operations. Maybe it's some filters, maybe it's some crops, a lot of image resizing, color space stuff. Just basically, I wanted to test a part of Acorn. So I open up an image, um, apply an operation, and then I'll compare it to the image. And then do those pixels match? Mm-hmm. Yay! If not, throw up a warning and you know stop everything and make sure you know now I can fix this. But that's not the only thing it does. Then I undo that because I'm also testing undo mm-hmm. at the same time. So I test the, what you've got now. Does it look like the original thing? You know, and it tests redo too. So I, I have it go forward again and I'll make sure it looks like the original. Because redo is also part of undo system. You know that can get screwed up. I mean, I haven't screwed that up in years, but 
who knows? I'm sure someday I'll mess it up again and, and hopefully that'll get caught. So, um, yeah. And actually all my, uh, I don't know, I probably shouldn't give away too much to my competitors, but all my <laughs> testing framework files are actually all written in JavaScript. Yeah. You wrote your own bridge, right? Yeah. Yeah. I Just did. like a normal but, thing um, people do. Well, yeah, and it was actually written in JavaScript before I wrote my own bridge. So adding tests to Acorn is super easy. Originally, they were written in C, but I just found it sort of cumbersome. Uh -huh. And I just, there was actually a joy to writing tests. Like if I found a regression, I would get it to reproduce. And maybe it was only 10 lines to do for the test or whatever. Because, you know, basically the hard part is making the pixels look like what you want them to look like. Uh -huh. But then the test, you say, here's this file and this file and do this operation in between them. And it was just... I don't know. They're all very comforting. You yeah. know, it, I, I would not have been able to ship Acorn if I didn't have all these tests. Yeah, tests are like so. a warm blanket, you know? It's, it's like being in the womb again. So that totally makes sense to me if that's how you would do it. That's, that seems very straightforward, and I'm, I'm jealous because unit testing UI code is not super easy and it's not super no. fun. Do you do any automated UI testing? It's, it's all just, I just check the bitmaps for the most part. I mean, there's the whole vector side of Acorn as well, and that gets tested too. So there's vector layers. Mm -hmm. So some of those have their own different tests. Yeah, um, you're not doing the like, if you click this button and then this button, that's stuff, I've never done that. I'm going to be honest. It seems, it seems very challenging to me and maybe of minimal value for the amount of yeah. work you would do. It's just a little bit higher level than I'd want to, just because you know UIs these days are so much in flux. Mm -hmm. And if you... Who knows what buttons are going to look like in four years from now? And Acorn's still going to be around. And God, now I've got to update those tests again if the images for the buttons don't look right or things shift around or whatever. So it's just kind of, we do a pretty good job at catching UI things before they go out. Yeah, I mean, we all may ascend to being beings of pure light in four years, and then we won't even need buttons. You know, we'll there be, we go. yeah, we we'll be doing have. something else with Acorn in that scenario. So that's all really interesting. And now I want to ask about this JavaScript bridge you wrote and how that all, what, how, how do you do that? I've never thought about that. Sure. So there's, there's a little history. So I have always been super interested in scripting language being run inside Cocoa apps. So originally VoodooPad and Acorn as well, you could write plugins just using Lua, which mm -hmm. is a scripting language. And there was a bridge for that where you could call into Objective-C from inside Lua. And languages come and go, and eventually you can do it in Python and then JavaScript. And JavaScript is obviously kind of, we're stuck with that these days. And I didn't know anything about bridges at the time. And I found someone else's bridge, and uh, I sort of incorporated that. I, I made a library out of it called JS Talk. Oh, um, yeah. Because the idea was it was almost an Apple script replacement because mm -hmm. you could use it to communicate with other apps too. And so I added that into Acorn, and eventually the bridge just kind of became, the bridge is the part where you have to write some pretty low-level code for, you know, turning JavaScript objects into, like, C-structs <laughs> or just, you know, allocating memory for if you're calling a function. It's got to have... That memory's got to go back somewhere. So this is, like, runtime-level kind of stuff? Yeah. So skip forward a little bit. I got fed up with all the bridges and just wrote my own. At this point, I sort of understood, just messing around with them for a number of years, what I was mostly getting into. So there's a library out there called libffi. Have you heard of this before? Yes. And, and it stands for foreign function interface, which basically allows you to turn strings into function calls, basically, if you know oh. how to look them up correctly. And you can find out if you know what the type signature of the function looks like, 
you can pack your arguments and stuff like that on the stack and then call into this function and it's all written in assembly and then you can get back some stuff and you can pull those values out and it's all kind of very very hairy but it's kind of fun too like getting that low, low. like i didn't yeah. have to write any assembly that stuff's all done but i still had to you know kind of deal with alignments and structs and just yeah. like making sure all that memories the way it should be. You feel and like a was, hero after you write that kind of stuff. It's it's great. Yeah, it's like holy shit, it works. I was working. You know, yeah, I was working in Objective C today on something to update it, and I swizzled a method on a, on a framework. Yeah, I haven't done that in years. Was well, is an app that hasn't been updated in a long time, and it's basically there. It was like a NewsKit app, and that's not seeing a lot of updates these days. And NewsKit, the way you download articles is all based around NSURL connection, which is also deprecated. And it kind of seems like it has some hooks into it so it can tell when an issue has been downloaded and when it's available or not. And I had written all the code to switch to NHURL session before I realized that that was going to break NewsKit. And so I was like, well, there's this method called available and I'm just going to replace it. And if the thing's on disk, then I'll say it's available or whatever. Or it's not called available. It's called like status or something. And so I just made my own version of that. I've, I don't think I've actually, I may have done that once before, but I felt pretty badass, honestly. <laughs> yeah, swizzling was pretty amazing. I, mean, I, I know why we can't do it anymore, but man, but that was back early on learning Coco too. That was like, I learned so much about Objective-C and just the C runtime mm-hmm. and everything. Just being able to inject my code into other applications to get it to do what I want. It was, you learned so much that way. I wouldn't want to run it. You know, I never really shipped any of that code. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't want to support it, but it, it taught me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's definite. I feel like you should definitely have a pretty good idea of what you're doing and know how to test it when you're going to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it feels like you could really break your app that way. Yeah. And and you've got to be fast on your toes for any OS update too. Oh yeah, that's true. Although I don't think news kits a big risk of changing in an OS update. So another thing we talked a lot about pixels. Another thing is acorn also has vectors in it and shapes and it does a lot of things. I remember originally it seemed like you just did shapes, but then you were able to do the like Boolean stuff, right? That's what it's called where you can like subtract a shape from another shape and all that kind of stuff. Tell me about that. That's, that seems interesting. So, yeah, Boolean math, when you're dealing with vector shapes, is incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. And there were some Objective-C libraries out there for doing it. And I actually licensed one for a while. Actually, this one was straight C. But um, eventually, like everything, everything's been done in JavaScript, you know. And there's a JavaScript library out there called paper.js. And it's open source. And assuming you're doing the right things, you can include it in your app. And hey, I've got a JavaScript bridge. So whenever you do Boolean operations on two vector shapes, it actually converts them into SVG, passes it into JavaScript. JavaScript does the operation, sends back an SVG. And then, you know, I turn that back into an Acorn object. So, and it- That's wild. Nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> it just works. Nobody so knows. We won't, I won't tell anybody. So SVG is like a vector format, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like a box you shove these into and it does the right thing. And you're like, sweet, here's my shape. Yeah. And it's pretty quick. I mean, JavaScript core is really fast. So, yeah. And it, I mean, as, as far as people know, it might as well have been written in assembly or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It happens fast enough. Probably takes more time for the screen to refresh than it does for the operation to to happen. So, Computers are um, very fast. Yes, they are. Although I remember I heard you talking about something. I want to ask you about a, the, the new version of Acorn. And I heard you talking about something on Twitter where you were saying that I think it was Floodfill 
when you were testing and you could see the high efficiency versus versus yeah. the performance cores, you'd see them like filling in different parts. Yeah. So for Acorn 7, I rewrote the flood fill implementation. And the reason I had to do that is the old implementation was written in, Object- in Objective-C, which, oh, sorry, not Objective-C, in OpenCL, mm-hmm. which is a GPU language. You write the program, it can run on the GPU or the CPU. Mm-hmm. And that was actually written by Guy English. I mm. paid him some money and he gave me an OpenCL implementation of FloodFill, which got incorporated in Acorn. And, but that went away with the M1 Max. You can't run OpenCL anymore. Oh, so I did not I ended know up, that. Yeah. So I rewrote it in C. And as I'm doing the profiling, I could tell things were just not it wasn't going as fast as it should have been. I could just sort of feel it and I'm looking at instruments and I'm like still not able to quite figure out what's going on. Hmm. So I got the idea. The way flood fill works is it's sort of like adding a paint and letting it flood out. Um, Everyone's familiar with flood fill, right? Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do, I said, every thread that's doing its work, just use a different color so that when Hmm. the image comes back, I can sort of analyze it and say, oh, this one only got like a little bit done, you know, whereas this other part just sort of took over everything like what's happening here why are hmm. some not doing it and then eventually you know i had each color represented its own core and when i got it going nice and fast you know completely saturating the cpu i noticed there were these still imbalances in the colors i was like what is going on and then, then i realized oh it's because the dtk has what was it two efficiency cores or it's either four or two it doesn't matter some of them were efficiency cores which means you know, lower power, but they don't run as fast. But mm-hmm. then there's some faster ones. And that, that's where those, that imbalance was coming from. Mm-hmm. And it was just really neat seeing a, a, a visual representation of, you know, what's going on with the CPU and what's happening with the algorithms. Yeah, that's so weird. So, that's so yeah. neat. So speaking of like performance and tuning your code, I'm curious how you approach that. And do you have any tricks? Well, usually it's just popping open instruments using a time profiler. And generally I can narrow down where things are going bad. Sometimes if it's in a library that I don't control. There's not a whole lot I can do about, you know, I can always change my algorithms too. A lot of times that's what I'll do instead of just trying to really push pixels as fast as I can. And I'll just try and change an approach to how I'm doing you know, mm-hmm. something like maybe caching the bounds of something mm-hmm. like trim, trim bounds of, so that I know not to draw so many pixels later on. Just little tricks are really where my, most of my performance mm-hmm. comes from, but um, generally it's instruments. Do you use any of the XC test performance stuff? No. So this is, so this is my favorite trick now. What I do is, I mean, it's not a trick. It's like kind of what it's meant for. But what I do is I start an in instruments and I, I go down to find the hotspot where the method is that is taking a long time. And then I pull that out and I write a little unit test just for that. And I can run my unit test. I don't have to profile in instruments at all anymore until I just fix that thing. And then I will test it again in instruments and see where that left me. But that's been, it's been really effective for it. It's really sped up my ability to fix those kind of things. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with them. Since I've got my own testing framework, it wouldn't. Fair. I thought about adding something like that to it because that would be good information to know. Uh, maybe I'll get to it one of these days. I mean, <laughs> so. you know what? That's life, man. You got to just, life just comes at you. You got to take it the way it comes, <laughs> you know? It seems like you're doing fine. So when you're doing this kind of performance test, you mentioned you were using OpenCL and they've had to move off of that. I know like, you know, you were taking a, I think you'd mentioned before that early on, basically... The reason you were able to make kind of a Photoshop competitor was because the APIs existed that made it possible for one person, obviously one person who's like very focused and a good programmer, you know, one Gus, to do this. You know, over time, have you had to move away from some of Apple's APIs to really get stuff tuned? Or has it been that you've been able to work around that? 
So let me first say the major API that I use is Core Image, and uh-huh. that's been around since the beginning. Well, 2007-ish. No, it's been before that, obviously. Well, it was the beginning of Acorn, at least. And I rely on that a ton. That is then integrated. It was integrated into OpenGL, and Apple has obviously moved away from that for their own graphics library and using Metal these days. So actually, instead of moving away from anything, I'd say I've moved even closer to what Apple Did you say you're close is. to the Metal? Yes, I am. Uh, I guess. I try to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, metal is infuriating at times for me. It's taken me years to get to the performance that um, I'm happy with now in Acorn 7. I've always been able to like get it faster and faster with each release and find little tricks, but I've never really felt like that I've been pushing it to what I think it can really do. Mm-hmm. These days, I think I'm pretty darn close to the as fast as it can go, like as much as the hardware that it's on can push it, which is, I'm pretty, pretty darn happy with the way things are in Acorn 7 now. I'm not like super familiar with Metal. How does that work? What was the difference like moving from OpenGL to that? So basically I don't do any 3D stuff with Metal, Mm -hmm. but what I do use Metal for is basically for the plumbing. So you subclass a a Metal view, It's, it's MKT, I believe it is, MKT view, and you set up certain parameters, and depending on the image, you know, if it's just 24-bit or 48 bits, you set up everything like that, tell it how you want your pixels to go through and pixel formats and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And getting that right, it can be tricky, depending on the size of your image or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and you also need to allocate little bits of memory on the GPU, so where certain pixels reside for fast compositing to go up there. But obviously everything can't be there. Like my uh-huh. undo pixels are all on the CPU. Mm-hmm. For the most part. Yeah, it's just a lot of the filters, a lot of my custom filters are now written mm-hmm. in the metal shading language. They were originally written in GLSL or the core image mm-hmm. um, basically language, but they moved to metal a number of years ago. This just seems like the kind of app that you can just always find new things to go deep on. Yeah, Apple's always deprecating things. And I haven't even touched any machine learning stuff. That's going to be my next big thing that I really want to get into. I've been kind of avoiding it because I know Mm -hmm. it's a big time sink and it's really deep. But I know that's that also for my other application, I think is a really good fit for a lot of machine learning stuff. Retrobatch, my image processor. Mm -hmm. So I think it would, both the apps would really benefit from a lot. I've got a lot of ideas and I've been taking notes of things that I want to do. I just haven't implemented anything yet. Yeah, the machine learning stuff is really interesting. I, my at my previous employer, they I, I got sent to a week long machine learning boot camp with a bunch of other people at the company, and learned a lot. It's really it's it's really neat. And Apple's APIs for it, and all the Python stuff where you can create your models. I think it'll be a whole nother tunnel for you to go down when you get there. Yeah, that's actually kind of what I'm afraid of. <laughs> but in <laughs> it's a like good I way. Spend so much time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a good way, I guess. Yeah. So. One thing people don't know, but that you told me, is you actually rewrote Acorn for Acorn 7 using Swift and Swift UI, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. No. (laughs) No, you know, I'm so comfortable with, there's actually no Swift in Acorn um, yet. I just, you know, one of the things is being a one person developer shop, um, I have to pick and choose what I'm going to attack and rewriting code and to, do the same thing it already does doesn't really appeal to me. And I'm also very, very, very good with Objective-C, so I've just stuck with it. I don't know, if, like if I wrote a new app, I would probably do it Swift. But at this point, um, Objective-C is what Acorn is, and it 
Objective-C is going to be around for at least another decade, so I'm not too worried about it. If not more, because there's so much, so many applications written in Objective-C, including at Apple. Oh, no. Like, Objective-C is going to be around to the heat death of the universe. Like, like Apple's all, you know, there's so much Objective-C. Uh, but, you know, Swift is definitely a thing which is in the world. Man, if you want to feel old, I just realize that Swift came out like seven years ago or something. I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. I'm aging in dog years. Um, so, because uh, it feels like it just happened. Um, well, it's only been usable for the past couple, really. That's true. I I went to a new job around the time Swift 1.2 came out. And I remember I was like, yeah, you know, now seems like the time it's there. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it was going from Swift 2 was okay. But uh, going from Swift 2 to 3, I remember being really painful. Like it took a long time, you know, because I didn't even have very many libraries. But like the ones I had completely broken. Um, yeah. Now it's much better. Uh, the debugger still doesn't work and it's still slow but <laughs> to debug. But um, it's great. <laughs> you can just buy a faster computer. Maybe that's why Apple does this, so that we all have to buy new Macs. I mean, I did. I just bought two new Macs. I have an M1 Mac Mini, and an, I, I had a circumstance where it was going to get different for me to buy a new Mac, and so I bought two. And they're great. I love them. So you get so much done with one person. To me, from the outside, it's just like, man, that is a lot of app. Uh, and then every once in a while, you make a new app. And I'm like, when did that happen? You know, I wasn't making an image editor and I didn't even, I didn't make either app. What do you think your method is for staying focused and like doing that? Well, I'm not focused all the time. I mean, from the outside, maybe people think I am, but really I'll have some very, very productive sessions. And then I'll have like some very, very, very unproductive weeks. And it, it comes in waves. I don't know what the secret is. I, I think it's just sitting down and doing the work, even if you know it's going to suck. And you just keep on plugging. It's I get persistence, persistence, determination, and just discipline, I think, is really what you need. All these famous writers, their thing is, well, I get up in the morning, and then I go to my office, and then I keep writing until I've written 5,000 words, and then I go to lunch or whatever. Yeah. This past year has been kind of tough, though, just because I've got a daughter, and she's nine years old. And uh, she, you know, is been homeschooled for the past year now so which has been super i mean it's great I, i've loved having her at home actually but at the same time productivity went, <laughs> went to the crapper but really it's just um and not all of your ideas work and you've got to know when to kill certain ideas too mm -hmm. i think like i used to have an application called fly gesture only sold mm. 99 copies you know eventually mm. i just said forget it you know just gave it away for free you got to know when to cut things loose mm -hmm. too I mean, you could have hit that number 100. It seems like that would have well, been a good place to stop. I, I wanted to, well, I stopped it at 99 on purpose because I, I, I knew I was going to, and I was like, let's just do it here. I'll say I never sold 100 copies. I was going to say, like, you used a very small integer in your database. You used, you know, you, you only allocated four bits or something. No, all my databases are SQLite. So fair enough. It, it's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of, uh, Acorn's file format is actually SQLite. Yeah. Let's, what's the file? For, what's that look like? Originally, Acorn was a binary plist for the file format, and once I realized that people were adding layers, and you know, you could have an image with hundreds of layers. You know, I suppose even thousands. I don't know if I've tried that. I don't know if anyone tried that, but I'm sure it's possible. But if you make, you know, you just change one layer, you don't want to have to write out the whole thing. You just want to change a little bit. So I was like, hmm, what can, oh yeah, obviously SQLite can. So that's that's basically why I adopted SQLite, and it's worked really well. Yeah, plist was a bold choice. Uh <laughs> Because you, you had to load the whole thing into memory then, right? To do this? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wild. But I guess it worked. So, I mean, you know, it's fine. 
So you just have tables of like shapes and layers and whatever. Yeah, and all oh. the all the pixels are stored in compressed format. I've changed it over the years, but um, it's either TIFF or PNG. And then the shapes, you know, there's there's a layer table, you know, with information such as you know the layer's name and any filters and stuff like that. You wrote your own uh, your own SQLite wrapper that I know a lot of people use. Yep, yeah, FMDB. It used to ship on every iPhone too for many years. So. What was what was it being used in? Uh, the news app. So yeah. All right. So this has all been super interesting. I think, you know, we've covered a lot, but I wanted to end with what are some developer or tools that you think are underused or just favorites for me, Xarchs? Because I think Xarchs is very cool that you can, you know, uh, things that do not accept input from the standard in or whatever, is that you can say Xargs and then input a list of things that you have pipelined and filtered up to there. And I didn't really understand it or, or use it for a long time, and then I did, and it is, it is great. And I think if people don't know how to use that, they should. I do so much like, you know, put a regex on this thing to get out, you know, use like awk or set to get the file names out of this giant list and then pass them to this other thing. It can also make it so you have to confirm each command so that that way you don't accidentally like delete you a bunch of stuff. Of yeah, yeah, she did the command wrong. What's yours? Um, mine is pretty related. Yeah, so, well, let's just tell everyone, you must, you must go to the terminal and type man xargs, X-A-R-G-S. You will find it. Once you understand what it is, you will start using it all the time. Anyway, I'm going to say uh, just bash, bash scripting. Um, a lot of Acorn, it's, it's builds, it's automated tests. A lot of things are just kicked off by bash scripts. So when I make you know, new Acorn build, I run you know, build.sh basically, and it checks out code and it, you know, compiles everything. And then it, you know, uploads it to the notarization servers. It runs the tests, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just use, I just got shell scripts everywhere. And I just, it's another one of those superpowers. I think once you understand how to use it, you know, and especially if statements, you know, mm-hmm. passing arguments um, to shell scripts and stuff like that, it's, it's a superpower. I think everyone should spend a little bit of time learning a little bit more about shell scripting. Use whatever shell you want. You know, yeah. I use Bash, but that's old, but it's awesome. I read any books about all those guys at like Bell Labs and stuff. Kerninghan had a memoir recently. Just it's all that stuff is so cool. Like all that Unix stuff. Unix is just the neatest thing in the world to me. And on that note, where can people find you? Let where can they buy your stuff? Well, they can they can go to flyingmeat.com if you want to buy all my products. Buy ten copies, eat, buy them for your friends. You know uh-huh. it's on sale right now. Is uh-huh. <laughs> April first? Uh, well, no. Well, I mean through April. Well, I don't know how long it's going to be on sale, but currently it's on sale. I don't know when uh-huh. you're listening to this. Anyway, um, I'm also CC Gus on Twitter. Pretty much CC Gus everywhere. Well, that's all really good information, and people should definitely go buy it for their friends, enemies, parents. <laughs> yeah, you know, your parents will probably be like. Probably send you one of those parent text messages where they're like, dear child, what is this? Yeah. Parent. Well, everyone's, everyone's got to edit images at some point. It's right? true. Everybody's got to so. edit an image. All right. Well, this has been great, Gus. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And I will see you the next time we do this. Yeah. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Hopefully sooner than that even. But uh, yeah. Goodbye. All right. Thanks.